0: Afraid of a global nuclear disaster? Or the likes of a Star Wars cosmic conflict? Are we on a countdown to the Battle of Armageddon? What does the future hold for our world? Have you tried to understand the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation only to be confused by all the symbols? These and many other amazing questions will be answered through this prophecy seminar. Yes, can understand the books of daniel and revelation and in the process get to know god in a deeper way welcome to prophecy seminar the book of daniel here is your host pastor david price well good evening one and good evening and welcome all to our
1: prophecy seminar this evening i'm so excited to be able to share this amazing lesson with you we are looking at prophecy seminar lesson number six. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just want to ask for your blessing, your direction, and especially for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide as we open your holy book tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, tonight in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 10, it tells us that there is a story here of a tree situated in the middle of of the earth. And so this is a wonderful story, especially for children because it's so simple to understand. The interpretation and the connotations might not be so simple, but it really is an amazing and brilliant story. And I promise you tonight that this story actually impacts the world that we live in today. So I just wanna welcome you all. Settle in tonight, at least you'll be warm. You haven't had to drive anywhere. You haven't had to be on the road. And uh, I know it's uh, cool outside, but I just pray that the warmth of God's love will surround you all. God bless you all. Friends, we're on the beginning of our lesson, the front cover. If you want to uh, read it with me, if you uh, want to look at the screen, then I have a visual feed there for you. Our topic tonight is conflict results in conversion. God patiently works with people. His long-suffering and patience is graphically illustrated in the book of Daniel through his attempts to reach Nebuchadnezzar with the gospel. Repeatedly, Nebuchadnezzar appears to make strides in the right direction, but then he relapses. Finally, in chapter 4, God is forced to take drastic steps. As a result, it seems that Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges true God. We must never forget that God is as patient with us as he was with Nebuchadnezzar. Even though we slip and fall, he still loves us. He wants to save us more than even we might want to be saved. As you study Nebuchadnezzar's story, we pray that you'll be drawn closer to Jesus. Remember that everything in the book of Daniel, including this story of Nebuchadnezzar, is focusing on last day events. The only people who will overcome in the final days are those who have a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ, individuals who have been truly converted to God. Before Daniel gives us the graphic details of last day events in the prophetic section, which are Daniel's chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Daniel makes certain that we understand the need for conversion. Friends, just have a look at the screen. I want to ask you, do you really understand what the word conversion means? So I have a, I hope, a creative illustration to share this with you. Friends, this plane has undergone a conversion, especially seeing it has no destination. It's in a park in Africa and uh, it's been repurposed. So let's just have a look at the word conversion. This is a converted DC-10 plane, which has a new location. It's based in Africa there. It has new paint, a new manager, a new crew, new cargo, and most importantly, a new mission. And this is the Latente Restaurant, um, and so this old plane that's been converted to a new purpose now dishes up daily Ghanaian food from right next to the airport. And this is Latente DC-10 restaurant in Accra, in Ghana. So, friends, you can see that plane is totally converted. It has a new purpose and a new mission. I guess uh, the question comes, why would people queue up for airline food? But I'm sure that children absolutely love the opportunity of being able to go on and eat in a plane that's parked somewhere, in a park somewhere. I have five theme questions I'd like to share with you tonight. Why did King Nebuchadnezzar write Daniel chapter four? Number two, what is the meaning of the tree? Three what did the ancients think about the king's madness episode? Four, is the king's bout of madness known and understood today? We're going to go into the medical implications of that. And number five, is pride and arrogance a serious sin? There are five theme questions. So friends, if you are uh, with us in the lesson guide, we are halfway down page two. Our theme and our heading tonight is, is uh, Daniel chapter four, the whole way through. And we're looking in section one at Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Question one, who is the author of Daniel chapter four? Now, if you uh, had not done your homework, you might've said, well, hello, it's pretty obvious. It's Daniel. But let's go and see what the record says itself. In Daniel chapter four and verse one, The writer writes, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. So friends, the obvious answer here is it's King Nebuchadnezzar, but he seems to be in a fabulously good mood. He's actually saying peace be multiplied unto you. This is incredible. Is this the same king that in chapter one went to Jerusalem and smashed it? and uh, killed many of the people and brought many of them back to Babylon? Is this the same king that in Daniel chapter 2 threatened to have all the wise men killed? In fact, some of the wise men were killed. Is this the same king that in Daniel 3 decided to make his kingdom last forever with a golden statue and threatened again any traitors uh, with death and to be thrown into the fiery furnace? Something's happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, hasn't it? What's happened to him? Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Friends, we've got a peaceful, happy king, and for that we can be glad. Our answer is King Nebuchadnezzar is the author of chapter four. The note says chapter four is the only chapter in the book of Daniel not written by Daniel himself. This is... Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, the story of how he found God. The very fact that he tells all the sad details of his resistance to the God of heaven is evidence that he had finally experienced a change of heart. Question two What did Nebuchadnezzar hope to reveal through his testimony in Daniel 4, verses 2 and 3? He says, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Friends, I want you to notice that very personal reference to the Most High God. Not the God of Daniel, but the Most High God and the relationship that King Nebuchadnezzar had with the Most High God. That is remarkable if you think about Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to to generation. Friends, this is very different, isn't it, to Daniel chapter 2 and 3 where the king in chapter 3 rejects that the the four kingdoms are going to take over the world and the kingdom of babylonia is going to end. He now acknowledges that this God, the God of Daniel, the God of Israel, has a kingdom that's an everlasting kingdom and his rulership is from generation to generation. Also in this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, what is he hoping to reveal through this testimony? He talks about the signs and wonders that the God of heaven has done for him personally. So in Daniel chapter 2, there were four kingdoms. In Daniel chapter 3, there's just one kingdom, the statue fully of gold showing Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is not going to end. But in Daniel chapter four, we're about to find out that the golden kingdom Nebuchadnezzar, not only, the golden kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar is not only going to not last forever, this kingdom is going to come under threat and is going to be in trouble. Question three, who did Nebuchadnezzar call in when he had his dream this time? Well, I'm sure that you're all calling out the wise men of Babylon. Let's go to Daniel 4 and verse 4. I love the way this this king writes and the way this king speaks. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Friends, unlike the dream in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar remembers exactly this dream. Verse 6, therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. So friends, true to form, Nebuchadnezzar is going to give his wise men of Babylon the first chance to interpret the dream probably out of respect for them and also to make sure he did not undermine his position we're in question four at the bottom of page two could the wise men interpret the dream i guess you're all calling out no they failed they're hopeless let's have a look at verse four uh, chapter four and verse seven then the magicians the astrologers the chaldeans and the soothsayers came in and i told them the dream but they did not make known to me its interpretation. In contrast with Daniel chapter 2, one group of mystics is missing the sorcerers. I wonder why we don't know really. Were the sorcerers discredited back in Daniel chapter 2 that they could not reach into the psychic realm of spirits and know the answer to the king's dream? I wonder if uh, King Nebuchadnezzar realizes that He doesn't really need the sorcerers anymore because Daniel was his backup. Daniel was his plan B. Could the wise men interpret the dream? The answer is no, they couldn't. They failed again. They were bankrupt in their area of expertise because the God of heaven had not revealed to them the interpretation of this amazing dream. In chapter 2, the wise men could not tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was. Now in chapter 4, they know the dream, but they still not, still cannot tell the interpretation to the king. With each new revelation of the true God, the wise men become more stubborn in their rebellion against him, while in contrast, Nebuchadnezzar yields to the God of heaven. We're at question 5 at the top of page 3. Who does Nebuchadnezzar now call in before him? Well, he's going for the big guns, isn't he? In Daniel 4, verse 8 and 9. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. And in him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told him, and I told the dream before him, saying. Friends, before we go on to verse 9, I just want to point out here that Nebuchadnezzar is taking some credit that this Daniel, who can interpret all dreams, although a foreigner, uh, a Hebrew from Israel, that he, the king, named this Daniel, Belteshazzar, and named him after the name of King Nebuchadnezzar's personal god, that is the god Bel, or Marduk, or Nabu. And so he's taking a bit of credit back to his gods for Daniel being able to do this. You know, old habits die hard. Verse nine, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. Friends, who does... Nebuchadnezzar now calling before him, he calls in the man who has brought him success in the past. Daniel, the Hebrew name Daniel means God is my judge. Question number six, we're asked to fill in the blanks regarding the vision that Nebuchadnezzar related to Daniel in verses 10 to 18 of Daniel chapter four. I love this uh, silhouette, this backlit uh, tree. It shows his expanse. And in this uh, particular lesson in Daniel chapter 4, we're looking at a tree that stands in the middle of all the earth. Daniel 4, 10 to 18 in the New King James Version, these were the visions of my head while on my bed, King Nebuchadnezzar recounts, I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. There is the theme of the chapter, a great tree in the midst of the earth. Who is the tree? what does it mean king nebuchadnezzar writes and its height was great the tree grew and became strong its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth its leaves were lovely its fruit abundant and in it was food for all the beasts of the field found shade under it the birds of the heaven dwelt in its branches and all flesh was fed from it so friends The king sees a tree. He recounts this uh, vision and dream. The height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Friends, I just want to go back to this description of the tree. Does scripture not begin with a tree or trees and end with a tree in Revelation 22? What are the names of those trees? Well, the tree in Genesis chapter 2 is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's also another tree in there in chapter 3 and 4, and that tree is referred to as the tree of life. And that same tree is also referred to in Revelation chapter 22. So friends, trees are very, very significant. They are significant in scripture and they were significant to King Nebuchadnezzar. If you look on the screen, you will see that he loved trees. His wife loved trees more. And here is a digital illustration of the hanging gardens of Babylon. We read on in verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed and there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. Friends, who is this Watcher? Who is this Holy One from heaven? King Nebuchadnezzar's religion, the Zoroastrian religion, believed there were four spirits, four celestial beings who cared for the universe. And so he believed that the one who brought in the message from heaven, that we understand would be an angel, a messenger from heaven. He believed that he was being visited by one of these beings called the Watchers why were they called watchers? They were called the watchers because they never slept and celestial beings and angels, unlike us, never sleep. Verse 14, the watcher or he cried aloud, the king writes and said thus, chop down the tree, cut off its branches Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Something's gonna happen. 15, nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And so the tree was to be chopped down, the scripture says. They were to leave the stump and it had a band of iron and bronze round it. The stump was to be wet with the dew of heaven. It was to be left outside day and night. That's an important point when you think about who the tree represented. We read on, And let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Verse 16. Let his heart be changed from that of a man and let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times or years pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. So friends, the dream is that this person was to graze with the beasts His heart was to be changed from a man and given the heart of a beast and seven times were to pass over him. Beasts and beast and seven. What an amazing dream there's so much detail. I want to read verse 18 before we go to question seven. This dream I King Nebuchadnezzar have seen. Now you Belteshazzar Declare its interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy God is in you. That's what I call no pressure, Daniel, no pressure at all. In front of all of these watchers, you are to come up with the answer. Question seven, what was the purpose of the dream? We look at verse 17. In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. I think the King James says the basest of men. It means men who are humble. Friends, the whole purpose of this dream is to show not only King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, that the God of heaven rules, but all of those who read this today, all of you who read this today know there is a God in heaven and he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. That is the key verse, isn't it? In Daniel chapter two, the key verse, Daniel chapter two and verse 28. So what's our answer? What was the purpose of the dream? That the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. Friends, this is Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging the bankruptcy of the gods of Babylon because this God outranks them all. This is the living God. This is Jehovah. This is Yahweh. This is the God of Israel. Only when people allow God to rule their lives are they truly converted. And we can hear the change in Nebuchadnezzar's voice and in his words that something has happened to the king. We're at the uh, base of page three and our new heading number two is Daniel's interpretation. We go to question eight. How did Daniel respond when he heard the dream? And verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream concern those that hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. Friends, here is Daniel's courage, his absolute courage, because he is astonished about this dream he's astonished for a time the root word of astonishment there means perplexed it means appalled it means embarrassed Daniel is dealing with all of these three emotions trying to work out how he's going to tell the king what is about to happen to him some people have wondered about the word time here how long was the time the King James translates that Daniel was astonished for an hour It's just a very small amount of time. It may have been minutes, it may have been an hour, but it certainly wasn't a long period of time like a year. The note says, Daniel knew that this was a difficult message for Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that the king could have him killed for stating what this dream clearly revealed. Daniel did not gloat that a calamity was about to fall upon Nebuchadnezzar, but he showed real concern as a true servant of God. God's people never rejoice when the wicked suffer. They have pity and concern for people who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, I just want to stop here and just uh, uh, comment for a moment. Daniel must have loved King Nebuchadnezzar like a father figure and a mentor. And when Daniel realized the prophecy, he was deeply troubled. He was astonished. How was he going to tell the king? that the king was about to go into a terrible crisis. I want to ask you tonight because we must relate God's word to our own lives. How do you and I react when bad things happen to our enemies? Do we rejoice? Well, you notice here that Daniel did not rejoice. Daniel gives us a picture of how a true follower of Jesus Christ should act. He feels sorrow and distress for the king. I want you to notice also here that Daniel holds no grudges. You've got to remember that this King Nebuchadnezzar tried to have Daniel killed and his three mates in Daniel chapter 2. And while Daniel was away, once again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace to be killed in Daniel chapter 3. Does Daniel retaliate? Does he treat the king with hostility and bitterness? or even our famous last words, I told you so. I told you the kingdom of gold was going to end and the kingdom of silver was coming. Do you and I treat our enemies like Daniel did? If so, I believe we must change and that change comes when we encounter the great God of heaven. And that's what you call conversion. Please come over the page to question number nine. We're at the top of page four. What did, sorry, who did Daniel say that the tree represented? We're in verses 20 to 22. The tree that you saw which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, and under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. Who did Daniel say that the tree represented? It obviously represented King Nebuchadnezzar. So at this point, I'm going to ask you to just direct your gaze to the screen. We're going to put down our lessons for a moment. I have some extra material that I'd like to share with you that I hope will be helpful. You can probably tell that I love images, that I'm a visual, and I think this tree is absolutely gorgeous. My question tonight is why did God use a tree to symbolize King Nebuchadnezzar? I have three reasons and i've put part of those reasons on the screen for you to follow the first reason why god used a tree to symbolize nebuchadnezzar is nebuchadnezzar had a great admiration for trees especially the cedars of lebanon nebuchadnezzar made repeated expeditions into lebanon's forest to cut beams down for his building projects now not only did he send his servants to go and do this work, but he actually went and did it himself. I remember reading words to the effect written by his own hand in the historical documents from Wadi Brisa, something like, I went off into the scented forests of Marduk. Friends, it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? God speaks to us in our own language. He knows the king loves trees and he speaks to him about a great tree that is about to be cut down. The second reason why God used a tree as a symbol of King Nebuchadnezzar is that one of Neb's inscriptions discovered in Lebanon states that his kingdom was like a tree. The inscription says, and it's on the screen in yellow, under her everlasting shadow I gathered all men in peace, a reign of abundance, years of plenty, I cause to be in my land. That's from the Wadi Brisa inscription B, column eight, line 34. I'm going to take you there in a moment. The third reason why God used a tree as a symbol of King Nebuchadnezzar. In the longest of all his inscriptions in the Wadi Brisa, Nebuchadnezzar is portrayed as the royal woodcutter. He tells how during the invasion of Palestine, he cut a road up the Cedar Mountains into the luxuriant and fragrant forest of Marduk his principal God. With ceremonially clean hands, he cuts down the mighty cedars, tall and strong of costly value. He needed these for the adornment of his buildings in Babylon. And one of his inscriptions, the king is pictured grasping a tree with his left hand, while he fells it with an axe in his right hand. Alongside the picture are the words, King Nebuchadnezzar fells with his own hand a cedar of Lebanon. Elsewhere, Neb prays to Marduk and ask, may my woodcutting prosper, just as you can read there on the base of the screen. So friends, let's go to Wadi Brisa. So if you have a look on the screen, at the top left-hand side, we're looking at Lebanon in the Middle East, you can see um, Tripoli. So go across from Tripoli to where I have the yellow circle, and that is the place of Wadi Brisa. Wadi in the Middle East means a valley, and it can often mean a river. So what's so remarkable about the Wadi Brisa? What's remarkable is that when the king was in Lebanon, he actually made this inscription on the side of a hill, and it probably is nearly impossible for you to see, but in that yellow circle, you may be able to see the king's head and his headdress there, and just to make a little bit easier, but maybe not much more, here is an older representation of the king, and this is the inscriptions, the hieroglyphics, and the cuneiform writing is on both sides of this. The tragedy is that this amazing inscription has not been protected, and so um, the people of Lebanon have not been able to protect it. So we read about this in the twin inscriptions of Nebuchadnezzar at Bresa. And there is the book that goes along with that. So friends, what we know about King Nebuchadnezzar and the tree and the cutting down of trees, he was very, very aware of all of this. And so he must have feared what the vision really meant. In view of all this, the tragic command in his dream in Daniel 4.14 to chop down the tree would have had a devastating impact upon King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon because he would have believed that like a tree dies when you cut it down, that this meant that he was gonna die. Please join me at the top of page four for question 10. What was to happen to Nebuchadnezzar during these seven times or seven years? Now friends, I want you to notice very clearly that when the tree was cut down, a a ring was put around the tree of iron and bronze. Verse 23, and inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let me just comment on that iron and bronze. Some commentators see in this, the shackles that King Nebuchadnezzar was shackled as he uh, underwent this illness, that he was tied up with uh, chains of iron and bronze. Some also see in it that he was confined in his body and was attacked by a demon. Um, Other references say this is the coming kingdoms of Greece and Rome. And so these are all... Absolutely fascinating expressions, aren't they? But the point of putting the band around the trunk of iron and bronze was to limit its growth, but to make sure that the stump did not fragment. And this is a very important point. What would happen to the kingdom when Nebuchadnezzar went through this incredible illness? Would the kingdom kingdom break down and fragment? Would it fray away? I read on in Daniel 4 and verse 23. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, the stump, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, Daniel says. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come unto my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. I just want to go into the understanding of the seven times. I want to remind you that the word or number seven in scripture, you know this, isn't it? The number seven is a a spiritual number and it is the number of perfection. So what are the seven times? In your own Bibles there, the New King James Bibles that you receive to do this seminar with, there's a footnote in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 16. You can see it there on the left-hand side of the page down the bottom, that the seven times is translated as seven years. Then in the Septuagint, which is the ancient Greek version of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, the seven times there are also translated as seven years. In Daniel 11.13, the King James Version Bible has a marginal reading in the margin which says the times there also stand for years. And so all commentators are comfortable and in agreement that the seven times here stand for a period of seven years. What was to happen to Nebuchadnezzar during these seven years? They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and shall make you eat grass, and wet you with the dew of heaven. What a terrible prediction. Nebuchadnezzar was to go insane. He who thought he could rule the world so well was to behave like a dumb animal. Friends, I would like to take a moment to pay tribute to the courage of Daniel. It was only Daniel's faith in God that preserved him. Because he's telling King Nebuchadnezzar that his rule is going to end, and it's going to end soon that the king is going to become like a victor lawnmower out in the back blocks of the palace eating grass like an animal because, O king, you did not honour the true God of heaven. Friends, I want to tell you, if you're going to have this kind of biblical courage, you need to be connecting with the God of heaven every morning. Scripture encourages us to meet with the Lord morning, noon and night and log on and connect with the kingdom of heaven. If you do that, and I believe that many of you will and many of you are, you will have power with God and you will have a courage to stand through these final events in this great crisis that we're living in right now. This time of trouble, according to Daniel 12.1, will not cease now till Jesus comes. Question 11. What did God hope Nebuchadnezzar would learn through his experience of insanity? We're looking at verse 25. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Friends, the whole issue here is Nebuchadnezzar's pride, and his pride continually got in the way. That's why the tree was so tall. He was so proud, and he was so boastful of what he'd done in the city of Babylon and in the kingdom of Babylonia. The note says, Nebuchadnezzar must learn the basic gospel truth. He must be willing for God to rule his life, It is God who sets up kings. It is God who dethrones kings. Again, the message of God comes through. God is in control of world events. God is vitally interested in people and wants them to recognize him as the rightful ruler of their hearts. Question 12. Was Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom to be sure? What does that mean? I think it means, was Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom to be stable, was it to last, during the period of his insanity, verse 26? Now, friends, I want you to notice in this picture that I've uh, put up on the screen, can you notice that this old stump is starting to fragment and fray? It has no band of iron and bronze around it. And so we are starting to understand the necessity of a band of iron and bronze to keep the stump together as it deteriorates and starts to crack and fragment. Verse 26, and inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. We are asked, in this question was nebuchadnezzar's kingdom to be sure well guess what there's the answer the word sure is located there in the word assured your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules why this continual uh, emphasis of acknowledging the king of heaven well in daniel chapter 2 the king didn't really in daniel chapter 3 he didn't really but then he came around And in Daniel chapter 4, he didn't really, but then he came around. And this is the story of the stump. Question 13, what counsel did Daniel give Nebuchadnezzar at the base of page 4? Friends, notice the bravery of God's servant, Daniel. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Friends, Here is real bravery as Daniel tells the king that he has sinned. He's engaged in wickedness, in boasting and selfishness. And he's suggesting that Nebuchadnezzar can buy extra time with God if he is willing to promote justice and mercy in the kingdom and also show kindness to the poor. The only way that Nebuchadnezzar could avoid the tragedy before him was to turn his heart over completely to God. Only by total commitment of his life to God would he be able to avert the coming calamity. He must acknowledge God as the rightful ruler of his life. All right, we're now on page five, halfway down. Our third heading tonight is Nebuchadnezzar's insanity and reformation absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Question 14. What happened to King Nebuchadnezzar one year later? How do we know that it was one year later? Well, let's go to verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honour of my majesty? Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. The king has done exactly what he was warned not to do. What is the result in verse 31? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled. There's our answer. Concerning Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair had grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. Friends, Nebuchadnezzar was given a probationary period of twelve months. How did he go? Well, he seemed to be going okay, but then he slipped back into old habits. You know, friends, we often can sit here in judgment of Nebuchadnezzar for doing something crazy, but how many times have we exhibited our own foolishness and our own boasting? I can think of a time years ago when I got caught in a rip at a beach and I was being taken out And I was out of breath and I called upon the God of heaven and pledged my life to him again and begged him to show me mercy and kindness and save my life. Friends, I want to tell you tonight that when we have pride and arrogance, um, that we are displaying an attitude that is against the God of heaven, who is our rightful friend and ruler. So friends, I love the note. This shows the grace of God. God is so patient, even after his fateful warning, he waited one full year hoping that Nebuchadnezzar would respond to him. Sometimes God has to let people sink to the depths before they recognize their need of him. And this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. The prophecy was fulfilled to the letter, and the king was insane for seven years. Friends, I want to just ask you to just have a rest. I am going to take you on a tour. We're gonna put the uh, ax to the trunk right there. I'm gonna do that again. there's the ax comes to the trunk of the tree and the trees cut down. Tonight, I'm gonna take you on a tour of ancient Babylon's city buildings. This will involve no cost, no airplanes and no COVID problems. The tour of ancient Babylon's city buildings. Let's take a quick tour. And let's see the handiwork of King Nebuchadnezzar. And what did the Bible say Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel 4.30? Is not this great Babylon that I have built? Well, let's have a look at the great Babylon and let's understand what he built. On this particular brick, he wrote the words, may my kingdom last forever. So friends, what did King Nebuchadnezzar build? He built the hanging gardens of Babylon. I know many of you would have heard of those. He built the beautiful Ishtar Gate. He built the temple complex of Esagila and the tower of e anarchy He built the elaborate river keys, three grand palaces, 53 temples, 955 smaller sanctuaries, 84 street altars, and don't forget the double wall fortifications so no one could break through the walls of Babylon, and six chariots, the historians tell us, could ride around the walls side by side. That's really some city, isn't it? So friends, we've read about Nebuchadnezzar's boasting here in Daniel 4 and verse 30, but is there any historical record to back this up? How about this one? Nebuchadnezzar's own words. Let's read them. I have made Babylon the holy city the glory of the great gods, more prominent than before, and have promoted its rebuilding. I have caused the sanctuaries of the gods and goddesses to lighten up like the day. No king among all kings has ever created. No earlier king has ever built what I have magnificently built for Marduk. Friends, that is remarkable. It echoes what we read in Daniel 4 and verse 30, but let's have another one. He said here, I have furthered to the utmost the equipment of Esagila, that's one of the temples, and the renovation of Babylon more than had ever been done before. All of my valuable works I wrote in a document and put it down for coming generations. May the way of my life be long. May I rejoice in offspring. May my offspring rule over the black-headed people into all eternity, and may the mentioning of my name be proclaimed for good for all time. Friends, I think you can see that King Nebuchadnezzar was somewhat of a confident person. I wonder if he uh, suffered from the condition narcissus, uh, uh, yeah, narcissistic grandiosa. That would be absolutely incredible, would not it? He certainly talks like somebody had that condition well friends thousands of bricks unearthed from babylon's ruins have been found inscribed with nebuchadnezzar's name because there was no stone on the broad plains around babylon as you can see in this illustration i put up nebuchadnezzar set up the greatest brick making industry of his time and became a world-renowned builder how many bricks were there in the city of babylon we're told there were 15 million bricks among his five most outstanding building achievements were, let's go on the tour very quickly. Number one, let me present the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon were named as one of the seven wonders of the world. Nebuchadnezzar built them to please his wife, Ammuhia, or Amytis, and she was the daughter of Syraxes the Mede to help her overcome her homesickness for her beloved mountain. And so, friends, these are the old illustrations we had. And now we have digital art, and they're absolutely stunning, as you can see, the temple Esagila or Etemenanki behind the beautiful palace and hanging gardens of Babylon. Well, what about his second most impressive building, the beautiful Ishtar Gate? With its cedar of Lebanon doors and coloured enamel tiled bulls and dragons, the ruins of this gate were unearthed by Robert Kolderwey and taken to Germany just before the First World War. This Ishtar Gate is housed in the Berlin Museum today and I've been there and that's the photo I took. Friends here is the Ishtar Gate actually on the property at in the ancient city of Babylon today in Iraq and we're going to take you there in two lessons time when we do Daniel chapter 7. Don't miss that. The third most important building that Nebuchadnezzar did was the great ziggurat, the temple tower. See the yellow circle at the top of the screen? We're focusing on that. This temple tower was called E Teman which his father, Nabopolassar, had commenced. And so friends, here is a digital reconstruction of possibly what the temple looked like and another view But the question is, how do we know that these are accurate? Well, I wonder if any of you have been to South America. Here is a ziggurat, which in the Assyrian means a summit, a mountaintop. It's a way for ancients to get up to be close to their gods. Here is the vertical staircase. You would be fit to get to the top of this in a hurry. And this is from the the Temple of the Serpent in Chichen Itza in Mexico. There is the serpent head at the base of that great building. So friends, if you have a look at what we are seeing with this so-called modern architecture for the last couple of hundred years then it is absolutely correct that it represents what was used in ancient times. King Nebuchadnezzar also developed a rab- elaborate river keys along the River Euphrates where it flowed through the city. Nebuchadnezzar also strengthened the walls of Babylon and dug and lined moats to strengthen the city's fortifications. And don't forget the new palace on which he may have stood when boasting, is not this the great Babylon which I have built? Charles Bootflower says of Nebuchadnezzar that the king seems to have been possessed with a perfect rage for building. Nebuchadnezzar himself said about his building craze, my heart compelled me Building was something he just had to do. So friends, King Nebuchadnezzar was the great tree overshadowing the world he built and ruled over. But then the tree was cut down. In Daniel 4.33 we read, That very hour the world was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Friends, I'm going to ask you to continue to stay with me on the screen. I'd like to share with you from Secrets of Daniel, this amazing book by Jacques Dukan. A few years ago, when I ran this seminar in Western Australia, a young man named James Dean said to me in the question time, I don't believe there's such a medical illness as this. This is crazy. This sounds like it's just a made up myth and legend. So friends, I'd like to answer that question tonight. And maybe some of you think that this illness is just a made-up illness. I want to share with you from page 69 from De Kahn's book, Secrets of Daniel. Let's have a look at the insane king and his symptoms. The king starts acting like an animal, eating, sleeping, and thinking like an ox. Paradoxically, in seeking to surpass other humans, he's now fallen below humanity. Anyone ambitious for success should carefully ponder its meaning. When one has reached the top, what other alternatives are there but to plunge back down? Nebuchadnezzar's little adventure seems to have parallels in ancient history, and I'm going to give you the evidence. In the Babylonian Job, 1600 to 1150 BC, we read that, like a she, Nakim, or Suku demon, he made my fingernails grow. Then in the novel Akaha, 7th century BC, there was a character there who said, I would stoop to the earth, my hair falling upon my shoulders, my beard down to my chest, my body covered with dust, and my my nails were as the eagles. Today, psychiatrists have diagnosed Nebuchadnezzar's behaviour as a variant of paranoia and schizophrenia. Historian of psychiatry, Gregory Zilborg, relates several such cases between the third and 17th century AD. As rare and strange as the illness may seem, it has been a constant throughout history. Today, the illness has practically disappeared in industrialized countries where it's adequately treated, but traces of it still appear in India, Africa, China, and South America. In recent years, several cases have found their way to the hospitals of Paris and Bordeaux. And friends, the symptoms are always the same. The patient imagines that he has been transformed into a wolf, lycanthropy, made up of two words, lycos wolf, an anthropos man, in other words, the wolf man or a werewolf, or an ox, which is boanthropy. Bo is bovine, meaning cows, oxes, the ox or cowman or even another animal, a dog, a leopard, a snake, a crocodile. And they behave as such down to the most intimate details. And we don't want to go into what those are. I mean, Secrets of Daniel, page 70. The illusion of the patient is so perfect that it affects even the way he sees himself. A 49 year old woman was convinced her head was that of a wolf complete with snout and fangs. And when she opened her mouth to speak, she would hear herself growl and howl like a beast. Some of you may feel like this sounds like demonic possession. Ducan writes, if we are to believe the historians and psychiatrists mentioned above, the Nebuchadnezzar syndrome seems to have truly existed. Of course, we meet with complete silence as far as Babylonian official chronicles are concerned. ha. <laughs> Still, a number of extra-biblical sources seem to support the biblical story. The Greek historian, uh, historian Abadenus, 3rd century BC, testifies that Nebuchadnezzar became possessed by a god or something of the sort and climbed up his palace's terrace, pronouncing prophetic words, and then disappeared suddenly. Again, we find several motives in common with the biblical text, that is, the king's location, uh, on the terrace a prophecy that was given and finally the king's unexplained disappearance then we have finally a recent discovery of cuneiform tablets that confirm the biblical narration in 1975 a Syriologist ak grayson published a cuneiform text now conserved in the british museum its artifact number bm for british museum three four one one three this text alludes to nebuchadnezzar's insanity have a look on the screen it seems that for a while the king's life appeared of no value he gave senseless and contradictory orders and he could not express affection to either his son or his daughter even recognize his clan or his family or even participate in the building up of babylon and its temple friends considering the history and cycle psychiatric diagnosis the story of Daniel sounds completely possible. I'd now like to take you a little deeper in this because many people are skeptics about this illness. I'm sharing with you here Kendall Downs book Daniel hostage in Babylon. I'd like to share with you a little uh, bit on page 30 and 31. So this tablet unfortunately that we were just uh, reading from is damaged and most of the lines are broken. It mentions that bad counsel is given to evil Merodach. Who's that? That's Nebuchadnezzar's son. But it doesn't tell us the source of the bad counsel. Perhaps the king's son was urged to take the throne in the place of his father. Knowing the cause and duration of the king's malady, Daniel would have opposed this and the feeling of the populace would have been on Daniel's side. with the top of page 31 in Kendall Down's book, Daniel, Hostage in Babylon friends in the east people believed that madness occurred when a god took possession of a person's mind although they might take steps to protect themselves and their property against the mania of the lunatic they dared not attempt to destroy the god within the person nor would anyone try to take advantage of his position lest they draw the wrath of the gods upon themselves there's a point It was obvious to the people of Babylon that some God had taken control of Nebuchadnezzar's mind and they dared not imprison or restrain him, lest they restrict the God and provoke the God's anger. So they contented themselves with driving him out into the open fields where his frantic behavior could harm no one but himself. And so for seven years, a council of princes and nobles held the kingdom in trust of their king. In all that time, Nebuchadnezzar showed no, ty- no signs of intelligence, but wandered alone and uncared for through the fields and marshes of Babylonia in the vicinity of the palace. At the end of that time, the tablet records this is interesting. He prays to the Lord of Lords. He raises his hand in supplication. And that leads us into Daniel 4 34 and 35, when Nebuchadnezzar praises the most high God. Would you join me now in question number 15? We're halfway down page five. I hope that that little interval, that tour of Babylon and the understanding behind the illness that Nebuchadnezzar uh, suffered will help you understand the historicity and the absolute trust and the weight that we can put on the book of Daniel. Question 15, who did Nebuchadnezzar bless when his sanity returned seven years later? And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Friends, who did Nebuchadnezzar bless when his sanity returned? He blessed the Most High God. He's had a personal relationship with this God. He's grateful to this God. Now, I'm just going to ask you a question that's not in the lesson. What was the historical timeline for Nebuchadnezzar's illness? Please look at it on the screen. I'm going to take you into Daniel 4 and I'm going to give you a timeline. King Nebuchadnezzar writes his personal testimony and publishes it to the world. King Nebuchadnezzar acceded to the throne as king in 605-604 BC. Remember that two years earlier, he'd gone to Jerusalem in 605, sorry, in 607 BC and smashed the city, destroyed and killed a lot of the Israeli people, and then had brought the king's seed or the king's royal household to Babylon to train them and then send them back as emissaries. So. His father, the king, King King Nabopolassar of Babylon, was reigning in 607. He sends his son to conquer the Jewish state, and then Nebuchadnezzar is made the king in 605-604 B.C. The dream of Daniel 2 is then dated in 603 B.C., Babylon... Then goes to attack Jerusalem again because the Jews never learn and they act up and there's a revolt, and so Nebuchadnezzar goes over and subdues them again. The siege against Tyre can be found in Ezekiel 26. It went for 13 years and started in the year 590 BC. Remember, in BC dates, we're going backwards. Jerusalem rebels again, and so there's a third attack on Jerusalem in 586 BC, and then a battle against Egypt in 569. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's death is dated at 561 BC. So the question is, where did the madness and where did the conversion fit in? And friends, here it is. The madness and conversion stretch from 569 to 562 BC. It takes place at the end of all the building, and this time frame here is 43 years. Nebuchadnezzar had been king for 35 years or 36 years when the events of Daniel 4 took place. And so those seven years take us through to the year in which he died. Question 16 is at the bottom of page five. What are the last words of Nebuchadnezzar's testimony in verses 35 to 37? All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. This God does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my honour and splendour returned to me. My counsellors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Friends, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise Nick stole and honour the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Friends, I want to warn you that we need to be very, very aware of pride in our own lives. It's almost a secret and hidden sin. We can have pride over others by judging ourselves better than other people. That is no recommendation to do that, for we can always find people who are less fortunate than ourselves, and why should we judge them to be inferior to ourselves? We can also extend pride in self-confidence and arrogance and independence from the God of heaven. And so King Nebuchadnezzar's message here to himself and to his kingdom and to us, as given by the God of heaven, is very simple but very deadly that those who walk in pride, the God of heaven is able to put down. You might remember the scripture that says, pride goeth before a fall, and that comes from the scripture. Friends, atheists disregard the Bible testimony here at their own peril, as this heathen and pagan king, King Nebuchadnezzar, testifies about the God of heaven, even over his own gods of Babylon. We're at the top of page six. It took God over 30 years to reach Nebuchadnezzar. But at long last, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged him as the true God. No longer did Nebuchadnezzar exalt himself. Instead, he exalted and praised the God of heaven. Once people recognized God as the rightful ruler in their lives, they have true peace. I want to ask the question now, not in the lesson. Is it possible we'll meet up with Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? I would say, why not? he was converted and he was saved. Wow, what a great God we serve. Let's just do a review of what we've learned so far in our study of the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, the diet test comes to Daniel. Today, the diet test comes to all of us. Are you having success in that? In Daniel chapter 2, the dream test comes. And so Daniel Uh, goes in and tells the king that the kingdom of gold is going to end. Daniel is faithful to the God of heaven. In Daniel chapter 3, the king exerts his uh, authority to show that the image he saw in four medals has become the image of one medal. And so the false worship test comes and Daniel's three friends are thrown into the fiery furnace and they pass that test with flying colours. And then tonight we've learned that Nebuchadnezzar had a personal worship test given to him by the God of heaven. And when he failed it and he refused it and he was stubborn, proud and independent, the God of heaven humbled him so that he might know that the God of heaven loved him. Our final heading tonight as we run down to the end is how God saves people today. How can we take the story of Nebuchadnezzar and apply it to ourselves? How can we be converted? The note says what God did for the ancient Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar he wants to do for men and women today. God is equal to save people now just as he was to save Nebuchadnezzar. Sometimes God has to permit us to go down to the very gutter before he can lift us up and redeem us. But he will allow whatever needs to happen in order to reach us with the truth of the gospel. God did not save Nebuchadnezzar because he was good. He was a proud and arrogant ruler. Yet God loved him and looked for the fruits of grace which he extended to him. Sometimes people fear that God cannot save them because of what they've done. But the story of Nebuchadnezzar ought to encourage everyone that God can save people in spite of their past experiences. Praise the name of Jesus for that. Question number 17, how does God save people today? Pretty much the same way he saved them in ancient times. For by grace, you have been saved through what? Through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is, that is the faith, the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast and say they can save themselves. Friends, on the screen at the bottom there, I have a little rhyme that's very, very helpful. Faith is the root of our faith, but works are the fruit of our faith. Faith is the root and works are the fruit of a righteous and godly life. How does God save people today? By grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Friends, I want this to be very clear because it's going to be in the quiz tonight. We are saved by grace plus what? The answer is grace plus nothing we're saved by grace alone the note says grace is the unmerited favor of god people do not deserve it they cannot earn it it comes as a free gift through faith in jesus christ so friends what is grace exactly if you have your pen there you might like to write down this acrostic this is an acrostic that goes down to help you remind you what grace stands for the g stands for God's. The R in grace stands for his riches. God's riches come to us at a cost. God's riches come to us at the cost of the death of the Son of God. God's riches come to us at the cost of the life of the Son of God. Grace is God's riches at Jesus Christ's expense. You see, our salvation costs something. It costs the death. Of the son of god on that cruel cross so friends tonight what is grace it's not just what you say before a meal grace is god's love his mercy his undeserved merit and favor toward each one of us it doesn't matter what you've done where you've been where you're going god still loves you he loves you anyway it's not based on your behavior you are a son and you are a daughter of god question 18. What does the Apostle Paul call salvation in Romans 6 and verse 23? Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, Paul calls this beautiful salvation given to us a gift of God or a gift from God. The note says salvation is free. People cannot earn it or work for it. They can only reach out and accept it could i share a quote with you from one of my favorite writers about this beautiful robe of righteousness it would be more accurate if the uh, artist had shown you that the man had dropped off his uh, filthy robe of his own works and his own sins in terms of the robe of christ's righteousness this robe woven in the loom of heaven has in it not one thread of human devising Christ in his humanity wrought out a perfect character, and this character he offers to impart to us. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6, and that represents the the uh, cloth that he has on now. Everything that we of ourselves can do is defiled by sin, but the Son of God was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Friends, that's the good news, the gospel. That makes the heart to sing and the feet to dance that we the guilty sinners as we accept jesus christ can go free well what must a person do to accept the free gift of eternal life offered by jesus christ in acts 16 30 and 31 and he brought them out and said sirs what must i do to be saved this is the philippian jailer Excuse me. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Friends, that's what you and I need to do. We need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will give us his salvation. The word believe means to have implicit trust and confidence and faith in Jesus Christ. It's not referring to mere intellectual consent, assent like in James 2.19 where the devils believe and tremble. Friends, saving faith has action mixed with it. People must, like Nebuchadnezzar, allow God to fully control their lives. Question 20. What are four steps that people must take in coming to Jesus? Well, we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what, believes in him should not perish but have that everlasting life. The first step is to believe that God loves them and God wants to save them. The second step is found in, in Acts 11, 18. And when the people heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And so the second step to heaven is let the Holy Spirit lead them to repentance. Repentance means to turn away from sin in sorrow not sorry that you got caught. Friends, the best definition I ever heard of repentance is being sorry enough to quit, not sorry that you got caught. The third step to repentance is found in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? Oh, I love this text. It's all unrighteousness. Every sin is covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. So we need to confess our sins to Jesus Christ before he can forgive us. The fourth step is found in Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door, that's the door of the heart, and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And so, friends, we need to open our hearts door, the fourth step, and invite Jesus in. Friends, I want you to have a look at the screen. Does anyone know this painting? This is uh, Holman Hunt's Jesus, the Light of the World. It's hanging in St Paul's Cathedral. A father and son were wandering through, having a look around when the little boy blurted out to his dad, Dad, why don't the people open the door? And the father was thinking about what they were going to have for lunch. And he said, "I, I don't know, son. And the little boy said, Daddy, Daddy, I know the answer. I know the answer. The people must be in the backyard and they can't hear Jesus knocking. Friends, is it possible that we today have the king of the universe knocking on the door of our heart? Holman Hunt was asked in this painting, why there's no handle on the outside of the door? He said, I purposely left the handle off. Because this door, the door of the heart, has to be opened by each individual person. One of my favourite writers said that when Jesus knocks on the door of the heart, sometimes God's people have so much junk piled up at the door of their hearts that they cannot get the door open. I'm asking you tonight, what is blocking your relationship to Jesus Christ this evening? Are you being converted on a daily basis or are the sins and the lies in your life weighing up? Are the gods that you're worshipping that have a grip on you, are they going to slow you down? Friends, I want to tell you that tonight you can have deliverance. You can pray those sins and you can pray those gods away. You can ask God to give you a sincere heart if you don't want to lose any of those things and allow Jesus, the light of the world, to come into your heart. And he will do all the converting and all the changing. And your life will be different and you will never be the same. That's what you're offered tonight. And all you have to do is say, yes, Lord, I accept your salvation for me this evening or today. Question 21. When people take these four steps and invite Jesus into their lives, will their prayers be answered? Oh, I love Mark eleven twenty-four. The words of Jesus, therefore, I say to you, he says, whatever things ye ask when ye pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Does he say you might get them? No way. When people take these four steps and invite Jesus into their lives, will their prayers be answered? Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. The note says when people in simple faith pray and invite the Lord Jesus to come in, to their hearts, to rule their lives, they can know that he has come in. The Bible says it happens when people believe it, not because they're good, not because they feel something special, but because Jesus has promised to come in when he is invited to come in. Question 22, which uh, finishes our lesson, will you pray the prayer of acceptance below and invite Jesus into your heart right now that you may receive the same peace that Nebuchadnezzar experienced? Friends, I'm going to invite you to read this prayer with me tonight and to be sincere about it, if that's what's on your heart, Uh, especially those doing the quiz, we're gonna ask you if you did that tonight in the response questions. So I'm gonna put here, yes, I wanna pray the prayer of acceptance. Friends, as you look here at Jesus, the Prince of Peace, I want you to know that there's nothing to be afraid of. When Jesus takes over our life, there's nothing there that's scary. We get the Prince of Peace and the Prince of Peace gives us his peace. He takes away all fear, and I want to tell you that is a relationship I want with my forever friend, Jesus. Let's say the prayer together. Dear God, I recognize that I am a sinner. I have been trying to rule my own life, and I have failed miserably. I need Jesus Christ in my life. I know that you love me that you sent your son to die for me. I invite you to now come into my heart right now. Thank you for coming in. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what did we discover in our five theme questions tonight? Why did King Nebuchadnezzar write Daniel 4? King Nebuchadnezzar had to give this spontaneous testimony because the Most High God freed him from his in- insanity and he was relieved and he was excited and he was overjoyed what was the meaning of the tree? It was simply a symbol for Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire. I think I forgot to tell you that the figure of a tree was known in ancient times to stand for kings and kingdoms and was well known in the kingdom of Babylon. Question three, what did the ancients think about the king's madness? They believed that a god had taken over the king's mind, so he must be protected from harm and danger during this time until his recovery at the end of the seven years. Is the king's bout of madness known and understood today? Yes, it absolutely is. Modern psychiatry recognises lycanthropy, the wolfman, and boanthropy, the oxman, as real illnesses. Not so uh, common today, but in terms of possession and other illnesses, it can be true. Number five, I'm sorry, it can be prevalent. Number five, is pride, arrogance, a serious sin? These are serious sins committed by Lucifer, which got him cast out of heaven, friends. The sin of pride is a secret sin. It's a hidden sin, especially spiritual pride and pretty much a spiritual cancer. It can never really be overcome except through the name, power and authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, King of Kings and Lord of Lords to the glory of the Father. Let us all pray that God will take away our pride and our self-confidence and that we will rest and lean hard on jesus i hope you can say amen to that well in the prophecy seminar so far we had lesson one on the introduction we had lesson two on the great controversy lesson three was the obedience and the diet test lesson four was the dream and the prayer test lesson five was the furnace and the worship test and tonight we had a lesson on pride nebuchadnezzar's pride and our pride And the worship test. Do we worship ourselves or do we worship the God of heaven? For those of you who'd like to stick around for the quiz, I'm going to ask you to uh, take out the sheets of paper that you've printed off from the email I sent you, put up their prophecy seminar lesson number six and your name, and let's whiz into the response questions and the quiz right now. I have three response questions tonight. Number one Have you just prayed a prayer of acceptance for the first time? If so, place a tick in box number one. Question two, response question number two in the little boxes on the left-hand side of the page. Did you just recommit your life to Jesus as we prayed the prayer of acceptance? If so, would you place a tick in box number two? God bless you if you did. And number three, if you are not quite ready to pray the prayer of acceptance yet, but would like me to pray that soon you can pray that prayer to God for yourself, I'm asking you to place a tick in box number three. If there's anyone here tonight who's not signed up with Jesus, please send me an email or an SMS on the numbers in the email and I will be happy to reach out to you and pray for you or pray with you uh, that you can accept Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord. We have five quiz questions tonight again. They are very, very simple. There are no tricks. Question number one, thank you for writing true or false on your little sheet of paper. The only chapter in the book of Daniel not written by Daniel is chapter 4, because it's written by King Nebuchadnezzar. Is that true or false? The only chapter in the book of Daniel not written by Daniel is chapter 4, written by King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm just repeating that because there are so many children doing the quiz and sending me their quiz answers. I want them to just have a moment to think. Well, question 2, is it true or false? God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to go insane because he wanted to make fun of him. What? Did we read that in the scripture? God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to go crazy because he wanted to make fun of him. Is that who our God is? He makes fun of people. Mm. Is that true or false? Number three. As a result of his insanity and craziness, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. And when he recovered, he acknowledged the God of heaven as the true God. He said, kids, yep, I want to follow the God of heaven. He is the true God. Is that true or is that false? That's question three. True or false? question four god saves people by grace plus the works that they are able to do god saves us by grace and then he adds in the works that we're able to do is that how god saves us can we work our way to heaven true or false true or false you know if we could have worked our way to heaven then jesus never would have had to die on the cross hey how about that that's what paul says in galatians chapter 2 And question five, the word believe means to have implicit trust in Jesus Christ and to put our full weight on him. To believe means to mix our faith and belief with action and put full weight on Jesus Christ. Is that true or is that false? Well, friends, let's go through our answers tonight. Our first answer is true. Yes, Daniel chapter 4, written by King Nebuchadnezzar. Answer number 2 is false. We never read anywhere where God wanted to make fun of the king. In fact, he was reaching out to King Nebuchadnezzar to have a strong and special relationship with him, which ended up in him saving the king. And I told you tonight that Jesus will save you too, if you ask him. Question 3, the answer is true. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, and he did acknowledge the God of heaven as his true God. Number four, God saves people by grace, plus the words that they're able to do, the works. No, that's false. We're not getting to heaven because we have earned our place there. That is false. And number five, the word believe means to have implicit trust in Jesus Christ and put our full weight on him. The answer is true. So our answers tonight are true, false, true, false, true. Give yourself a score on the envelope out of five at the top on the top right hand corner and please remember to send those to me some of the people from our session last night forgot to send them to me please send them to me by sms or email tonight before you forget and uh, that will go towards the beautiful big bible that we are sharing with you the black one and the uh, white one and also a voucher for you to buy your own bible friends You're always welcome to join us if you don't have time to do the lesson, but let me tell you tonight that if you can do this lesson um, and prepare this lesson, then that's really important because we're going into lesson number seven. Lesson number seven will be Daniel chapter five, and that's next Tuesday and Wednesday night, identical sessions. Can I ask you to read Daniel chapter five, please? Would you read Daniel chapter 5 before you do the lesson? Why? Because if you read the chapter before you do the lesson, you understand it so much better. This is a wild party. This is a wild feast with King Belshazzar. And the mystery that you read there is absolutely incredible. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that you have reminded us through Nebuchadnezzar's story that you are the great God of heaven that you love us, that you want to save us and that you have a plan for our lives. We can't wait to read more, to learn more, to hear more from your Holy Spirit on how to gain the kingdom of heaven and have peace, joy and happiness in this life is my prayer for everyone who hears this program. In Jesus' powerful and precious name I ask it, amen.
0: been listening to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Daniel with Pastor David Price. For more information about this series, you can visit the YouTube page, True Blue SDA, or one word. That's True Blue SDA.
1: This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.